Hello everyone, how's it going? I'm Taylor, I'm the lead investigator and the founder of Class A Paranormal Team. Class A stands for Capturing Light and Sound Scientifically After Life. And uh, we're here today to talk about paranoia and matrixing and the different ways that our mind plays tricks on us uh, in an attempt to make sense of our surroundings. And uh, so we're gonna get a little bit about that. And uh, I've got my friend Sarah here. She is also on the team. She's gonna pop in for a little bit and chat with us. I've got my animals too. <laughs> They've all gathered around. Um, so yeah, we'll be joined by some friends. Bring in Sarah in a minute and uh, introduce you. Um, the rest of the team couldn't be here, but they will be periodically on, on other shows. We'll be doing this podcast every last Saturday of every month, um, different topic every time. So you'll get to meet them throughout our podcast journey. Okay, perfect. Bring in Sarah. Hello. Sarah. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So also known as Adventure Seeker Sarah, always doing different things, but we're happy that we've got you on our team. And uh, she's going to sit here and chat a little bit about pareidolia and uh, some of the ways that our team functions around this sort of tricky concept. And it's really just an instinct that pretty much every everyone has, as far as I know. To, yeah, uh, to your make brains want to make sense of things. Chaos. Yeah, <laughs> we don't like chaos, apparently. <laughs> so, pareidolia is also sort of known as matrixing. There's, I Some people consider slight variances in those words, and some people use them completely synonymously. Um, I'll go over how some people sort of see them as different words, but mostly we use them as umbrella terms for um, basically seeing... Um, we're referring mostly to like visual pareidolia, which is like seeing shapes and familiar objects and especially faces is very common in um, just jumbled up uh, data in the world around us. Uh, you know, textures and, and just complicated surfaces um, cause us to, we're almost like a little facial recognizing, you know, software in our brains where we're constantly looking for like faces, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about why we might do that, some of the theories, but um, yeah, if we see like a textured surface, our brain is just instinctively trying to find something familiar, some sort of universal symbol or face uh, in it. And it's there really are Instagram accounts devoted just to that, just to see in everyday objects. Yeah. Interesting. I, sure. I love the material they get from like, ghost teams because of so oh, yeah. many people that send these things in and we love hearing from people and, and, and getting, you know, people's evidence to look at. But a lot of the time it is just, it's pictures of, of matrixing of just someone's background and the lighting just being bad and just shadow play and stuff, just um, making these faces. And, and we have a saying in the paranormal field that if you circle it, it's not evidence, you know? <laughs> trying to show you like, like here's it's a little boy's face and you're like it's just rock like it's just the bumps on the rocks you know but you can we can see it too because our brains also program so as, as they pointed out you're like yeah those are the two eyes and and the, the mouth indent you know any sort of formulation of features that are similar in any way to like two dots on top oh, 
and like a mouth. I don't even know if you need the nose really for our brains to just. I, you don't. And I still have slight discomfort every time I drink a McDonald's coffee. Next time you do, look at the cup, the lid. It looks like it's screaming at you. It looks like a face <laughs> screaming at you. <laughs> Why? Don't do this. Yeah. Yeah, I see faces everywhere, like cars, especially the fronts of cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, and you start to animate them, like, you start to make associations with, like, their personality almost, you know, like, you see a punch buggy be beetle, and you're like, that's, you know, not a mischievous car, like, that's a bubbly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my game when I was driving long distances, you could, like, the backs of the cars always looked like a face, so you're, like, thinking yeah. about, yeah, exactly, the personality of that, that face. Yeah, it's like the movie Cars, you know, and you just start to feel like you're, like, in a race with all these, like, little personalities. And, and then I think it translates to the people who end up driving the cars because, you know, you're not going to have like a, like a villainous type of like tough guy get a smart car or a beetle with those big bubbly eye like headlights and happy little bumper, you know, you're going to get them in like a, a Chevy with like the slanted eyes that are like, you know, kind of <laughs> messing. It sounds like we've I given this baby too much thought. Like this is I know. I think conscious. I think it just kind of happens. That's yeah, the weird totally. thing. Pareidolia is all these like chains of association, you know, in our in our minds, and and the reasons that we need to associate. Like sometimes, you know, like Jesus and toast, that yeah, sort of phenomenon. Yeah, you know, I think that people sometimes are looking for the things that they need to see too. You know, yeah. um, which for us means that when we're on investigations. Um, if we're not checking our own mindset, we're looking for ghosts. That confirmation bias is going to cause yeah. us to see ghosts. You know? Did I bring um, up Toast Jesus? Do we want to see Toast Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Let's see Toast Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Like, <laughs> but you see this? I mean, this is a like an obvious purpose. So many variations of that. But there, there are actually like you know people will see faces in a potato chip or yeah. In store and in there yeah in anything really snow yeah anything and uh those types of things you know play into maybe a certain type of inner bias of uh, you're gonna have probably a non-religious person see a jesus in the toast as much as you'll see a religious like a catholic person see jesus in the toast and there have been studies done on that we actually will have a blog coming out about that specific topic later on but they've done studies on you know religious people and like paranormal believers and their experiences of actually seeing more of this stuff uh than non-believers would and there's something called the sheep goat effect which translates um this believers non-believers sort of experiences in both uh, fake experiences and real experiences so them being easily more easily tricked as believers and them also experiencing things that um, we measurably can't explain. Um, so potentially real paranormal also more than non-believers. So it's very interesting some of the studies that they've done. But yeah, if we we are definitely really vulnerable to be more prone to seeing ghosts or anything that our mind has decided a ghost is supposed to look like in our surroundings, not to mention we're working at night. Yeah, um, yes. So I, I mean- it's, it's both sides of that too though, right? Like you are, you are, seeing things that maybe are not really there because you're looking for it, but also you're seeing more things that might actually be there because you're exactly. looking for it where the average person might not be, right? 
yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you're open to it or whatever mm -hmm. that mechanism is that allows people to really tap into the real paranormal if there is the real paranormal. Yeah, it's a, it's a double-ended thing and it seems to, um, mm -hmm. seems to check out on both ends of being, yeah, easily manipulated, but also easily tapped into something more, which is, yeah, it's interesting. And then finding out what that thing that is more is, is a whole other thing with whole other sets of studies. But, but there are a lot of studies that show that like psi phenomenon, you know, exists on some level, some of it psychokinesis, they've done a little bit of studies and had, you know, results beyond probable, you know, chance results and uh, remote viewing. They've had really interesting results. So all of these things, uh, mediumship too. So sometimes people can tap into these things. I would imagine that it would be harder for a non-believer to like channel something um, or to even maybe have a loved one come through with a like medium with them than it would be for a believer. But yeah, so we have to make sure that our mindset is not biased, which, you know, hard. sometimes it's something on a subconscious level, you know, so it might happen to us, these things where we mistake things for ghosts, you know, um, because we go into a place and we're already kind of set up for this and there's nothing that we can do with our subconscious to get rid of that little bit of bias that's left, but we can at least be aware of it and like learn how to recognize it and really just ask all these questions if we're looking at like a, a piece of visual evidence let's say we'll say well where is the light source you know um what does the rest of the texture of this landscape look like in a bigger area and does this sort of repeat in a similar way uh does it match you know the color tone of the rest of the background and stuff you know you have to uh be big picture in this Kind of field yeah so focus on the small you're just gonna see this little snippet of a face you know yeah i would think that you'd end up with that problem more with the audio evidence than visual evidence right your brain just making sense of something that's there because anything you hear your brain's going to try to turn that into actual words right yeah yeah audio matrixing is usually what we refer to it which is actually a good time for me to explain sort of how people define pareidolia and matrix differently um it's not really the official definition as far as i know it's just sort of colloquial but the, in the paranormal community i think we consider pareidolia as like the umbrella term um of us trying to make sense uh with familiar objects is mostly in a visual way uh, i think there is audio pareidolia too but mostly in a visual sort of way in our everyday life. Whereas matrixing more relates to like digital phenomenon, more like photos and videos and when pixelation starts to play a part and audio like with our recorders and stuff like that. I think in our field, we sometimes use those words in different ways and we use matrixing a lot more when we're talking about our evidence. Um, but I don't know if those are official. The, the internet has a lot of mixed opinions on the differences or similarities with these words. There's also uh, the term, um, let me find it, it's a weird sort of word that also summarizes like how our brains try to, it's called apophenia. It's how our brains make connections where there aren't necessarily connections. It's more about theoretical, it's not necessarily visual, it's even wider of an umbrella term than pareidolia. Pareidolia is a type of apothenia. Am I saying that right? I think so. Apothenia. And it's just 
uh, we see it a lot in people with um, psychosis type disorders, like schizophrenia and stuff, where one thought form is going to be connected to another thought form where most people don't see a connection, but their brain is wired to be finding these connections and these things. Like, this has happened to me because the gods, you know, wanted this to happen because I got a four-leaf clover like this time and like, you know, and I don't know, just unlinked thoughts and it that's what pareidolia kind of is. It's just this need to make connections in our brains to things that we recognize mm-hmm. when there's nothing recognizable. It's just a random pattern that our brain has never seen before and it doesn't really like that newness. Is there theories on why that is? So why is it that we want to make sense of everything around us? Is there like a scientific theory as to why that is? Yeah, there's like three theories as to why our brains might do this, um, why we might want to do this and why it might just do this on its own. Uh, One would be that when we're born, what we see right away is a bunch of faces. As a young person, you're not really out in in public as much. You're really just seeing a lot of your parents' faces. They're, They're interacting very closely with you, you know, parenting and playing games and making faces at you you're getting a lot of like face to face uh, in those early years which are really formative and so it might program us to see a lot more faces where there just aren't faces uh and familiar very simple objects like when you're you know watching the clouds you're more likely to see like a heart or a star these very simple uh, universal symbols that might occur like earlier in life uh, when our brains are really uh, making notes of how the world works and, and and we just sort of project those. So that's one theory is, is like early years. Um, another one is in the same way that the Jesus toast and the Virgin Mary and stuff pops up. It's this sort of need to find meaning in life. Um, I think that we're uncomfortable with randomness of just being the spinning rock <laughs> through space potentially without a purpose or, you know, divine, you know, anyone there to support us, the possibility that, you know, there's nothing creative about this, that it's really just a bunch of happenstance and like random series of events means that anything could happen to us, even if we're a good person, anything bad could happen to us at any time. Like, I think that just the unknown and the unfamiliarity and the suggestion that maybe there's not all these comforting sources around us and things that make sense you know i don't know i think we're uncomfortable by that so that's a that's another theory there's there's this meme that i've seen that that kind of um explains how humans are i find in this way the sentimental sort of way how we just we crave something we crave to like romanticize life in a way you know and really make it uh, animated and and to just insert humanity into everything and it's that humanizing personifying like need of ours that i think might cause this phenomenon you that's see? why people can attach their roombas exactly, exactly. <laughs> can, we, can we see that meme i'll kind of read it out loud it starts with sometimes i just get obsessed we have that yeah 
I'll read it. It's, it's very poetic and kind of sad, but um, sometimes I just get obsessed with how lonely humans are as a species. We see faces everywhere. We have stories about beings living in the things of our world that go back as long as we've been telling stories. So it's like gods and stuff that we created. I know we've been sending our songs and dances up to the sky for millennia. And when we figured out there was something beyond our sky, we started sending songs out there too. We tell each other about fairies and Bigfoots and worlds lying under the skin of our own. We name robots like Roombas and look for personality and code. We tamed dogs to have friends to hang out with. We dream about aliens. We see life everywhere. What is it exactly that we're trying to replace? I can't read the rest there. Mm. Left alone to find left what left us alone in the first place. That's what it's yeah. I think. Um, it's very sad and that's a little sad. <laughs> this is not the cheeriest of theories. <laughs> deeply lonely, you know, mm -hmm. just see it in our behavior, uh, trying to expand outwards past Earth and even within Earth, our behaviors with other people and yeah, just personifying things that are inanimate objects, you know, um, like anything with a kind of a set of eyes, especially we tend to really uh, attach to. I don't know, people get really into their plants too, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> surrounded by plants right now. Yeah, we we kind of want to take care of things and nurture things and uh, soothe things and be soothed by things and just feel like there's sort of people or some sort of sentient being around us, whether invisible or not. And so when we see these faces, you know, it. It probably scares some people because maybe they think it's a mean spirit, but a lot of the time we see people saying like, oh, there's like a, you know, a guardian watching over my baby on the baby monitor or like, you know, this is my, you know, deceased, this is my grandma. It's people that they maybe want to be there and they're hoping to see and they're looking for that sign, you know, in anything. It might be part of the grieving process, maybe part of just loneliness. It's just sort of a natural Thing that we experience we, we look for meaning you know um, even in ancient days we attached human traits to things that we didn't understand you know thunder thunder was a angry sky and it was a man angry in the sky I guess Thor and all those different you know gods that we associated all the different cultures did this without even uh, you know talking to each other about it because we didn't have that type of liaison back then so they all had this similar instinct to like name concepts that they didn't understand, phenomenons, and associate them to things that they recognize within their own culture. Like, oh, this is a loud sound. It's very crackly and big. This feels and looks like anger personified, you know? We're gonna say that the sky is angry or, oh, it's raining like tears. The sky is sad, you know? We really just kind of took characteristics that we already had an understanding of and just appointed them to the things that we didn't. It is interesting how much our brains just want to make sense of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's just so much that we don't understand. Like, you know, there could be spirits, but I don't even know if we would recognize one if we saw it. Because I don't, yeah. Would you ever say you've come across evidence while investigating? Cause you've done so many investigations that where you saw a figure that you couldn't explain through some other means. Mm, I don't, I don't think that I've come across any like astounding visual evidence. I've 
had some very interesting EVPs. Part of yeah. the reason why I called this Class A EVP, I believe that I've encountered some Class A EVPs and some personal experiences that I like. I believe were spiritual in nature rather than well, scientific and spiritual, same side, same coin, different side, same coin. But I believe we're paranormal, but not in an evidence sort of way that I could really present, just mm -hmm. in my own sort of own validation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've seen some visual things, maybe evidence towards proof, but I don't think I've ever seen anything that was like verifiable proof of like yeah. um, a form. I've had people show me um, visual evidence that was super compelling, but I don't really trust anyone. Like, so if they show me, if I'm yeah, showing you it yourself, yeah. it's just not going to happen for me. So, um, and it's nothing personal against it anyone that shows me that it's just the way that my brain works i just if i wasn't like there or i didn't know that the environment was a controlled one and stuff uh then i can't really count it as like evidence so i have seen like potentially very compelling visual um very like you know body shape that that really stood out from its background rather than mm -hmm. was part of it you know and and didn't necessarily look human but but again, if you weren't there to know that the environment was controlled and what other factors were at play, yeah, try yeah, to really consider it evidence. It's just something that is somewhat compelling, right? Yeah, could have been, could have been faked, could have been exaggerated, could have been a real human, could have been the way that the light, you know, transferred a real-looking human to sort of more of a translucent type of look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many things that could go on. Sometimes I wonder if we would have more pareidolia if we investigated during the day or more at night because i feel like during the day we have like sh more shadows but at night you have less clarity in your surroundings what you're looking at i don't know yeah deal with it basically anywhere on, on the field however we do this it's just something that we encounter unless you're in a simple white room all, at all times you know in a lab maybe <laughs> it's really hard to prevent it so you just have to and it takes some getting used to to recognize it but once you're you have that trained eye sort of like i get sent pictures all the time and i 99 of them like i absolutely i can just tell that that is not a phase i just i've seen a million like this you know but but if you were someone just at home who's not really in this field and stuff and you click a picture and you see that and it's the first time you're really analyzing any sort of background or like any sort of you know, weird shadow or anything, you, you don't have that trained eye to, to like do the critical thinking necessary to, to understand context, you know, mm -hmm. and you would definitely think that it's, it's space, you know, stare right back at you and be like, that's space, you know, but have, just, have there been less of the photographic ones now that we're not using film? Because I know before there was like some double exposure issues that was making it look like there was an extra person that was only like half there. Um, but now we wouldn't have that issue with digitals. I wonder if it's dropped down, like the, the amount of evidence that you're getting from yeah. I'm sure that a lot of those old ones circulate because people are desperate to kind of keep any cool evidence out on the internet and stuff. So definitely probably what you're seeing is older stuff from exposure issues, but I would imagine there's probably less, but I, I don't know, we get all kinds of things like with shutter speeds and, and like, I don't know, different things can happen with digital things too, I'm sure. Yeah. You definitely have to ask Kyle a bit more about that because I'm not super techie. Uh, I don't know a ton about film. I know that um, 
Polaroids can be really good because they're more like analog style, like old school. Mm -hmm. So not a lot can really happen in the process of it, like printing out. And uh, things with negatives uh, are helpful. But as far as that, I'm not really like an expert, but I would imagine that, yeah, technology is probably getting better. So probably having less like flaws. Um, but we also have like portrait mode and stuff where our cameras recognize faces and yeah. I think they're wrong about it a lot. So they might, lot. Focus, <laughs> might focus on a face in a rock, let's say, yeah. and blur out the rest and make it even more obvious to us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, with the spatial recognition stuff, the social media and the, just the new iPhones and the ways that they're programmed for these apps to work on our, you know, filters and stuff like yeah. that, they might um be finding more faces than ever before um but probably better video quality so probably a trade-off of just different issues now yeah i hadn't thought about that the facial recognition technology that that yeah and it really mimics the way our, our brain works like yeah uh, which leads to the third theory actually about why we might do this is that it's a survival instinct like our brain scanning our environment for faces because faces mean threat or they mean help <laughs> Yeah. You know, so you're looking in uh, just like any animal, we're, we're just like trained to very quickly recognize if there's someone else in our vicinity that we weren't aware of to just be kind of on guard until we can establish that person's like not a threat to us. And that one makes probably the most sense to me. Personally, I think it's probably a combination of all three of these theories. The first yeah. one, the baby one, I don't really know. That's like a lot more science than I can really like say. <laughs> makes enough sense to me but but the other two make sense within my own context of my own like life and reference points oh, and being humans and their behaviors mm -hmm. and, and survival instincts like we already know that we still possess a lot of our like, more uh like animalistic survival instincts so some of those have stuck around and like the hunting sort of um instincts and yeah it makes sense to me that we would just be quickly trying to find faces and people yeah, no, that, that actually makes on a base level that probably makes the most sense i mean that doesn't mean the others aren't at play too but yeah. it's, you know yeah. Yeah. Faces. Faces. you don't want someone sneaking up on you yeah <laughs> yeah faces of animals could be a tiger like yeah. anything anything with a face could potentially it means it's sentient and it's gonna potentially interact with us in a good way or a bad way so yeah i think that it's it's that even if we're not in the in the context of being in an urgent situation still our brains just do that no matter what yeah sure. any group any room that we walk into especially in the dark we're already experiencing a little bit of paranoia a little bit of you know it's spooky what we do specifically sometimes walking around places that have terrible histories you know at night in the dark and and so maybe a little bit of that fear plays into we're looking around for anything that could spook us you know, so you might actually end up seeing like experiencing pareidolia in real life, like not so much digital matrixing, but in real time, you might uh, think you, you spot like a mannequin, like at the jail or something. Oh, like we're in the dark and you turned quickly, <laughs> that mannequin. I mean, I don't know if that's pareidolia because the mannequin really has a face. Like yeah. it's really meant to be a face, but um, you know, to mistake a lot of things, coat hangers and stuff for being like oh, yeah. people and fear can do some strange things to your brain that's yeah yeah i've definitely been spooked by some some silly things <laughs> but yeah it's just one of those things that we have to take into account and uh it's just good for people at home to know about these phenomenons that 
everyone's brain is doing at all times, you know, because knowledge is power. So the more that you can be aware of it, the more that you can uh, do your own troubleshooting to figure out if you're really seeing something or not, you know, um, just efficient that way to, uh, to go through the process of elimination, you know, could it be a shadow? Could it be just the pattern repeating in a weird way, you know? Yeah. And uh, we've got some pictures here of um, examples of matrixing. Uh, these are pretty popular examples. I've definitely kind of seen them uh, on the internet a few times. So I figured I would show them. These are like rock formations, um, foliage and trees, super popular to see a lot of weird shapes. Smoke is also a huge one. Um, so you want to bring those up one by one? Yeah, one by one, for sure. Oop. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so th th this is a good example of a lot of pictures that we would get sent to our inboxes, people circling things like, here's the face, and this is it, it's a demon face. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really, it's just kind of either a camera distortion, like that middle one, well, it's zoomed in. Um, you know, it's just the way that the dirt sits is the way there's a little cavity creating yeah. little eye sockets, but it's just <laughs> cavities in dirt, you know? Um, I honestly don't even really see what the other faces being referred to are on the sides. Like I could barely I can, I can see the skull. Yeah, I could see. Uh, yeah, like anywhere we see like just the double dots, you know, that's someone yeah. with eyes <laughs> two dots <laughs> next to each other. It cannot be. It must be eyes. <laughs> and I don't mean to make fun of people who think that because no, I, no, I, like our brains of... do that. It's nobody's fault. Yeah. Okay, what the next one? Let's take a look at that. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think this is like a man on the moon sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. This may have been, um, you know, manipulated a little bit, but this is the same um, phenomenon that we experience with seeing the man on the moon or the, uh, what is the mermaid on Mars or something? <laughs> I don't know, some other facial thing on Mars that someone thinks they saw. But I mean, this much more looks like a face. I will give it that. It's very compelling. But why would a face be there? Sometimes you have to look at like context, context beyond visual context and more just like, why though? If it was a face, why would it live there in a rock forever? <laughs> in a, on well, a I, I can see the demon face in the last one. I'm not saying there's a demon on that path, but I can see how, I can see how someone yeah. would see that, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, and it, also this, you have to, you have to think about half of it is dark. And so our brain is filling in the symmetry, but there could be lumps all over like the chin, you know, on the dark side. And it could totally not really look like a face. It's just that you've lit up the half that looks like a face and our brains understand the other half to just be symmetrical because we've already decided it's a face, you know? So we're already filling in the blanks of the rest of the part that we can't even see. That's what brains like to do. Fill in yeah. The yeah. Yeah. We fill in blanks. Uh, <laughs> interesting like tests on the internet that you can do where your brain like literally fills in the blank when it hasn't yeah. given you the answer yet you know um, so that sounds another outside one right yeah mm -hmm. uh, so yeah these are super common to rock formations so that obviously looks like a, a goddess type of lady or like a witch or something yeah, that's actually really yeah. interesting that one. <laughs> yeah yeah it's super cool and i think that you would pick it out pretty quickly even without the circling mm. um but it's just definitely not a face. I don't know, it's just a part of a rock. 
It's uh, really part of a rock though. Like I would yeah. take pictures of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I and mean, then you can see to the left of it, there's uh, similar like ridge plateaus, you know, where mm -hmm. the corners jut in at like a close to a 90 degree-ish angle, creating that, you know, divot shadow. The same that's happening for the mouth. Uh, oh, oh yeah, I can totally see another face just right to the left of that as well, right? Yeah, so you can find yeah. them everywhere. Yeah, so yeah, it's a repeating thing, and hmm. and uh, it's just a man standing by rocks. Why <laughs> would there be ghosts there? <laughs> you know? okay, so, so the next one is more like how you just see faces everywhere, right? Like the you know sort of in in buildings or in regular. Uh, yeah, like I, yeah, that's that's true. Pareidolia, it really is just um, that doesn't necessarily refer to ghostliness or or demon faces or anything. It really is just our brains seeing anything that looks like a set of eyes and and seeing faces in in buildings, cars, food, coffee cups, clouds. <laughs> yeah, coffee cups. Yeah. You know, but that's the example like this, right? That's my, my terrifying exactly. coffee cup. It's, yeah. It's thing. Or have you seen, you know, the drunk octopus wants to fight the coat hanger? Yeah, you know? the coat hanger. yeah. we have one yeah. of my yeah. actually, and I'm always looking at like, just can't, you can't see it too. Right. Yeah, exactly. You might not see a face, but someone else who's got maybe a little stronger of that Pardolia uh, instinct sees it, they point it out to you, and then you can't unsee it. Now <laughs> it's your curse now. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's very interesting. So, um, oh yeah, we have that one last little meme about the Roombas. We wanted to go through that. Um, I just think it's so cute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, pack bond, that's the term that they use, which is interesting. It's something that I would look into a little more specifically, that sort of animalistic instinct, what pack bonding, what that entails and how that plays into pareidolia. Um, but yeah, just this need to uh, to sympathize with little things and animate them. Um, what's the one with the T? Oh yeah, people buying like the the broken cans on the shelf at the grocery store, the crunch up things that they don't think that other people will want. You know, the unwanted yeah. things. I think that it's really just a projection of our own fears or current insecurities. You know, just humans like, will bond with anything. Yeah, yeah. It's really an interesting it's thing. Correct. Like it's like that needs to be studied it. more. Why? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Why? Are, why are we protecting a broken can? It, you know. Is it our Disney movies to blame? <laughs> All these things have been animated and now we now we humanize them. We don't want them to be sad if they don't have to fulfill their life's purpose of being, you know, an opened can of soup. <laughs> I wonder if there is actually some like background psychological thing going on with all of the the, the animation of inanimate objects, like mm -hmm. see that from childhood. That's actually a really interesting point. Yeah. It might actually be just some some background guilt at work there. Yeah, like it's which like chicken or the egg, like were these Pixar, Disney, whatever movies, like Cars is the perfect example. Like was that created because of our pareidolia or has our pareidolia really like snowballed off of things like that, cultural references yeah. and media, you know, which one? I mean, I think we had pareidolia first to some of course, Disney. Yeah. I mean, we've had it probably our entire existence through evolution. Mm -hmm. But uh, so it's probably based off pareidolia. But has it changed our level of of pareidolia and just the amount that we're prone to 
seeing faces specifically, you know, and and just relating to inanimate objects, just relating to them in a really human way where we feel emotions or we think that they feel emotions. Does it, what about like our stuffed animals when we were kids? Does that play a part in it? Like I, I believed that my stuffed animals were like real 100%. I felt like if, they, if I pinched them, it would hurt them. And I was yeah. protectiveness. And I don't know, it's just interesting. All, all these all these theories and things that could possibly be playing into it and, and just our need to uh, be friends with and protect anything. Pet rocks. I mean, that's pet a lot. Rocks. Yeah, that was like a huge trend when I was a kid too. People yeah. were into that. Um, yeah, I mean, anything, so many things. Anything that makes any sort of cute little sound or any like human little sound. I, I was at a sushi place recently and they had those little robots now that yes. and they like they like chitter and chatter at you and like oh thank you and they like go away and you're just like oh so cute you know and you just you feel like it's just this little creature yeah absolutely it is, it is parts and mechanisms and completely man-made things you know interesting it's interesting to think of the future of ai and how we're going to relate to uh having AI in our lives and good or bad like is our humanization of them gonna take a toll on us or is it gonna be good you know? we talk a lot about this in our family and if you haven't looked up sophia who she's the human yeah, robot yeah. ambassador so go everybody should go google that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and they're getting really human-like now well, we actually were talking about like that particular robot mm -hmm. is you can see her robotic parts and stuff. And we talked about how that was done on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're too close to human, but not yeah. quite there, if you're all the way there, that's really going to freak people out. Yeah. And if you're almost there, you get that uncanny valley thing, right? Where right. it makes you uncomfortable and you're not quite sure yeah. why. And they don't want to make you people like <laughs> The whole point is for people to like her. So the, the still looking like a robot is very much on purpose. I see. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think so anyways. <laughs> We're easily confused. Our subconscious is easily confused. And once you start making those associations, it starts to be hard to like discern differences in, in reality from fiction and yeah. really just start to, uh, we might know in our conscious that there's a difference, but our subconscious doesn't really recognize that difference. And so the ways that we behave wind up being the same as, you know, with a human or, or not, you know, it could be, uh, I don't know, it could be good, it could be bad. Like it's hard to imagine the future with. Not too long before we get to figure that out, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess. <laughs> We'll, we'll just lean in and see what happens. I, for one, am very nice to the AI on my phone, just in case, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm always polite. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I start, like, yelling at Siri, it's just, it's a gateway into treating people badly, yeah. you know, like getting into, or like, Absolutely. I don't know, <laughs> dehumanizing, like, people with, <clears throat> with a women's voice, like Siri, you know? And, yeah. I'm scared of the associations my brain can make or the slip ups that could carry over into my real life. Yes. Again, just our brains making connections, right? It's mm -hmm. interesting yeah. to think about. There's a lot going on in there that we yeah. really don't understand. Yeah. And okay. So strangely enough, when I, at, through my research of like pareidolia and stuff, there's been two weird statistics associated with our behaviors with this. 
um, the way that we humanize things and uh, the, the associations that our brain makes with faces. One being that 90% of the faces that we perceive, so a car or that building that you just showed or the man on the moon, 90% uh, are males. So we're seeing male, male faces. It's not even statistically significant to be saying that we're seeing faces because we're seeing male faces. We're not seeing female faces barely at all. We're seeing male faces. So why is that? Like, I, that's so strange to me. Is it because of the type of world that we live in, more of a patriarchy that are, I don't know, that, that's translating? Is it more that biological males tend to have more angular features mm -hmm. and that seems to translate into like landscape patterns, like rocks, okay. you know, having more. Now, has this historically been the case? Like always when, because if it's sure. now, I have a theory as to why, if it's just over the past, you know, th even 30 years, because we only measure in animation, right? Like you, male faces are have no extras, but with females, you you know, get bigger eyes, you've got eyelashes, you've got these things that identify something that's animated as a female, and mm -hmm. so you know, long hair, all these things that aren't necessarily only female traits or the other way around, but yeah. that's yeah. how it's been traditionally animated. So we're we're seeing the basic version of a face which isn't what you see as a female in animation. So that's probably why I think. Yeah, or probably we're looking for some exaggerated form of face before mm -hmm. we assume that it's female, whereas it's more just a gender neutral face, what most people's faces look like, you know? Yeah. If we were to, to darken my face or your face in a really like shadowy black and white, you know, we would have a pretty similar face to some, some male person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, definitely could be that. Um, and another strange um, sort of statistic that we've come across is that we follow the gaze of the fake face the way that we would with a normal face. So let's say that building, those eyes were maybe schemed more to the side, we would naturally be looking like, what is it looking at? Like we're, we're literally, our brains are processing as if it's looking at something that's caught its attention and we want to see what it is. As if it's causant, it's surrounding. We're mm. associating that. We're getting curious about our surroundings as well in case they're giving us a cue. So we are literally humanizing these faces. Like, we're not just, you know, you know, baby talking them and stuff. Like, we are literally, our brains fully think that these are real eyes and real people our subconscious are subconscious thinking this that are looking at something that could be a threat or yeah could be interesting that's what i was yeah. gonna say it's probably the survival thing again right like someone's looking over there oh better make sure there's nothing scary there right yeah 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 we see a car's headlights you know i don't know if the headlights turn i don't think they turn but, <laughs> <laughs> but if they did then you'd definitely be looking that would be really creepy yeah that would just throw us over the edge i think we'd be like that is a car like human yeah so I don't know what that, you know, means, but it's interesting that we at least follow the gaze to some degree. I don't know if we we acknowledge it at the exact level that we acknowledge, like if you looked over at something, but we certainly react to it uh, in a way that's like not normal for an inanimate object. We definitely, uh, you know, follow the direction that it's looking in. Um, as it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, an interesting fact. Huh. Yeah very interesting and, and, and weird. So 
um, it's scary that our brains have so much going on like behind the scenes that we don't really have control over. <laughs> it's literally like, you know, just collecting data and recognizing things as they're not, you know, like it's like, oh yeah, our brain can look at a rock and see that that's not a real face, but still part of our brain is understanding it as a face, you know? Our brains are wacky. There's this whole thing about color that's too much to explain, but basically like there are some colors that don't even exist. You're just taking what information you have and melding it into like the best approximation. Blue, blue yeah. doesn't exist, there's, isn't it? Yeah. There's a certain type of blue, I think that, yeah. yeah. But there's this whole, there's, you know, you, there's papers on this, it's insane. Yeah, it's like a construct almost, We've, yeah. Because yeah. certain type of blue didn't exist before like the 1700s or something. And then all of a sudden it exists because we've just started creating it almost in our minds and perceiving it and talking about it and bringing it to life. Yeah, colors are one of those weird things that are kind of subjective, I think. Like, I don't know if your blue is my blue and we'll never be able to know that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting um, philosophical thought of... Yeah. I mean, the color wheel isn't even like, there's so much be We only have like three cones in our eyes, right? But some yeah. people, this was also just in like the last article that I wrote about animals and kids being able to perceive the paranormal more carefully or more easily and um some rare people are born with four cones which allows them to see like like millions of more colors than we do like, i'm a, like when you take like the, the super seer tests online i can uh, see like, all the colors yeah so i wonder if yeah we we see about a million colors even though it's super hard to measure but the average yeah. person with three cones sees about a million but a person with four cones and also animals that naturally have like four cones and those types of mechanisms see like, I think it was a hundred million or 10 million. Oh my gosh. Exponentially more. That's quite uh, the difference. And there are like visual artists that have, um, I can't remember like their name of the order. It's like a bargain, but um, people with those four cones, some of them are like artists, obviously. And, and their art is so cool. It's like, uh, there's just so many colors in one color. It's really hard to explain. I try to send you, but um, yeah, it's just interesting. There's just so much that we don't see, and there's we're only seeing the visible light spectrum too. I mean, yeah. there's way beyond that. You know, there are some animals that can see UV and IR, and um, yeah, I mean, there's people with you know, humans with these extra abilities, let alone like animals and and babies and stuff and, and hearing. So there's just, we see this tiny fraction of this massive spectrum. Yep. And same with our conscious and our unconscious. Our conscious mind is understanding this tiny spectrum of what our subconscious is actually like taking in and processing the way that we're processing yeah. it. I think if we really wanted to understand the way that we see the world, pay more attention to our dreams. You know, that is really our subconscious unraveling and that's kind where of all subconscious comes out to play. Yeah. 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 So like the opposite of making sense out of chaos. It's sort of like sense like turning into chaos in your dreams, but but yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on on a day-to-day -day basis and in, in, in our field. We're in the dark. We're already a little bit scared. You know, um, we are probably subconsciously registering some sort of threat to our survival. Yeah. You know? We know that other people have died probably in these locations and stuff. And 
yeah, it's hard not to um, see these things, not just faces, but just um, seeing shapes and forms and stuff in our environments when there just isn't any. And then later when we're reviewing evidence, um, it's just a big part of it. Just constantly have to be in that mindset. Constantly, you can't just like take a break or anything. You have to literally be thinking like, is this a form? Is this space? Is part of the rest of the picture? Is this out of place? Is it in context? Would it make sense for a ghost to even be here? Like, why would it be there? Why would it be up here? Here? Why would it be part of a tree instead of just standing behind us? Like, why does that? Why <laughs> would that happen? Like, you know, it's just a it's just a constant sort of thing. And I think that we're pretty good at it. You know, it's something that takes practice. Mm-hmm. And once you've done it long enough, or an, an enough times or you really sort of studied it so you know what kind of red flags to look for when something isn't really a face gets a lot easier well and of course our purpose is to rule out everything before jumping to paranormal right so yeah it's maybe easier for us to think about you know the the logical explanations behind everything first instead of just jumping to oh my gosh scary face you know yeah yeah we have we have trained ourselves within our methodology already to be in that mindset hopefully you know most of the time it's it sticks you know we're there at least in our conscious we're definitely being as like critical as we can and uh, and we recognize if our subconscious isn't quite aligned with that and we can get it back in gear you know and we have each other so we have other people to like you know cooperate with and and discuss and we've got Buvan who's literally like just trained to be in that mode all yeah. the time this whole great addition to a paranormal investigation team for sure yeah <laughs> I, I would i would say almost crucial for every team to have someone in, in that sort of field because Absolutely. the only way because there's just some things that we'll never be able to catch because we just don't have we're not like experts in the field of of brain tricks, you know, I, I know the basics like pareidolia and matrixing and confirmation bias, power suggestion, you know, I've read the studies on those types of things, but having someone who's literally an expert in those fields and in like human behavior and stuff like that um, will just help us fill in the blanks, the things oh, that definitely. we don't know. And just having each other, any of us, just to be like, what do you see? And not saying, do you see a face? Saying, yes. what do you see? So you're not bringing power suggestion into it, especially with audio. Like, do you I hear this? Uh, yeah. Oh, look at me, you know? Or then just, you're immediately going to hear that. Absolutely. I love how Kyle does that anytime he sends EVPs. He doesn't say, oh, do you hear it saying this? He says, listen to this. Well trained. <laughs> Right, you know, and that's as, as it should be, right? You're, because you're going to hear whatever you think you should hear. Yeah, you you will hear what is suggested so easily. Yeah, that the same reason we do the, the headphones with the ghost box, right? Instead of just listening yeah. to it out loud, because if you say "What's your name?" anything you hear come out of that next, your brain's going to turn into a name. Not yeah. because that's necessarily what was said, but because our brains want to make sense of things. So the, yeah. the plugging someone in to say things out loud that they can't hear what's going on in the room, that yeah. like that's why we do that, right? So yeah, yeah, our brain can very quickly like fire out those familiar neurons. So like any like all of the names that we know are kind of very closely on hand too. So this mm-hmm. can happen in like a half a second, you know, of like and we'll say that sounds like Gordon, <laughs> you know, like. It will just pick from uh, the hundreds of thousands of names that we've probably heard fairly easily. You know, it could that 
please. We have to make sure that we're not even in the realm of knowing what to expect to hear. Any subject, we're ready. Food, our brain already got all the foods lined up. Like yep. names, already. What city are we in? Already has all the cities, you know, and especially at the city we're actually in. It already knows, not if not the right answer, if the question wasn't specific enough, it knows at least what the subject is going to be on. And our brain is just going to make the closest link that it can. And, and then everyone else will also hear that. So we have to eliminate like any context so that we're just hearing words that way we don't have any expectations. We have to just release all expectations in any context in the fields, which is hard because we are, we go there with a certain goal. Like we're a team that has a certain purpose and, and we have to uh, still have no expectations of anything that we're going to find or be able to present to the client. Even if we hope to be able to present them with something like, we just can't like that mind going as neutral as possible and, and not allow our brain to trick us. And in order to do that, since we can't turn off these things in our brain, we have to just be aware and we have to tweak the way we do things in our surroundings instead. Times are full of tricks. Full of tricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we're good. Between between all of us, I like we're all just very logical and I think that really what it is is that we all just want the truth. Like we have the common goal of just wanting to know the actual truth, not like oh, yeah. exciting, exciting, fun truth. Like we just actually want to know is that a is that a ghost or not, and we won't be disappointed or upset if it's not. You know. No, and that's the way it should be, right? Like actually scientifically investigating to some, well, at least to some extent. But the what one thing that that reminds me of is like when we were using the grid pen with all the little lights that go on the wall, right? Yeah. And it did fade as we were trying to, you know, talk to someone. But your first reaction wasn't, oh, yay, ghost. It was, okay, let's check this pen and see if the battery's dying. And let's, yeah. you know, like, let's look at all of the reasons that this could be happening that yeah. are not a ghost just sat down beside yeah, What is the most likely? Like, what yeah. is the most likely that battery is dying? Like, has a battery ever died? Of course, all batteries die mm -hmm. easily quickly right so yeah you know that, that happens on a frequent basis in real life and how often are ghosts showing up on laser grids not super often <laughs> debatably never i don't know no. so you have what not is often literally enough, that is the first thing you jump to yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but that was an interesting moment and we couldn't we couldn't rule out the possibility completely either right mm -hmm. i don't think that we were able to determine that the battery was dying because it was no. stronger later and i don't think it I still don't think it's dead. I think the same battery is still in there. So for the rest mm -hmm. of the night, it was just a little bit wonky. I feel like it was behaving yeah. more wonky. It was kind of more normal when we were in the conference room and we were out of that room specifically. And so yeah. there's nothing that like leads me to believe that it was a malfunction, even though my yeah. rational brain is still like, but it has to have been, you know, but yeah. I don't know. There were, there were certain things in corroboration that were happening in that moment yeah, exactly. beyond just the light, but also um, sensory. And also I think audio um, that were all kind of happening at once. And those and the EVP meter was higher in there. Like there, there were a few things, but that's what it was the EMF. Yeah. There's something else going off. So, when you have those things stacked up, then it's you can start to really explore the other options because yeah. the likelihood really. I mean, of course, the EMF might have been like there were wires nearby and stuff, so like there's, there's yeah. that possibility. But there were several things all at once, which were. But yeah, I mean, and what the good thing about that though is what I think is great about this team is that's not a 
immediate, oh, look, we found a ghost. It's a, what What are the 15 other things that be, that could be going wrong here that could be yeah. causing this, right? Yeah, yeah, let's just keep it as our last resort option. Mm -hmm. Let's just not even explore it until the end, until we've discussed the other things, yeah. yeah. And then if we've been able to rule out everything else, then now let's discuss it, you know, in a real, real way give it a chance and see if we can recreate it see if we can catch this ghost okay there's maybe a ghost here so what now what do we do mm -hmm. we go towards the sound hopefully we don't run away from it and then we try to set up and we try to figure out a way to you know repeat it or capture it in some way that is still in a controlled environment and we try to stack that evidence to eventually become something that's maybe proof you know it's a, it's a lifelong journey. It's <laughs> a, a lot of people, I think, will just never consider anything proof, no matter how much evidence, you know. Just, oh, yeah, sure. Like, it would just try our best to be as reasonable as possible and to get just the, the best evidence um, where we've already done all the critical thinking for this. They can try and choose with but this, and we'll be like, nope, we took care of that. Not a possibility. Nope, nope, we did that. Nope, we thought of that. You have to leave them with nothing. You have to think of all these mm -hmm. people that try and verify this and counter test this and all the devil's advocates and stuff. And you do that by being the devil's advocate yourself and already getting those things. And, and if someone else can find a hole in our in something we missed, then that's that's great. You know, if great, then yeah. we'll have what to do better next time, or we can then take a next step and try to implement that and see if we still get the same result and that's the scientific method you know that's peer Absolutely. review and things like that and we're not really like we don't have a like formal peer review but we do have like other teams that we can uh work with and reference we've got experts in their fields that we can reference and and hopefully one day we'll have a real bridge to someone in the scientific field that we can be handing over these evidence and really getting like peer review processes going and trying to actually you know study this yeah it's hard because like Bhuvan said anything that doesn't like either make money or advance society yeah isn't really looked at so much and this doesn't fall really into either of those categories so uh, i feel like like it might not advance current society but advances like humanity like it would change everything if we knew for sure that there was like an afterlife you know yeah it's it's pretty crazy to me that this like do people want to know though you know yeah that's exactly much more realistic to me why the apprehension actually exists in the subconscious is that people are afraid to find out that it doesn't exist mm -hmm. i think we all are too i think i'm a little bit um you know fearful that i could put in 10 years into this and 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 discover somehow that for sure it doesn't exist you know and and that we really just lie on the ground but i can't go into it with that expectation i can't go into any investigation with that sense of disappointment or, or expectation or hope that it does exist or anything. I can have any personal tie to this, you know, I have to just try to figure out the truth and then I can process the emotions behind yeah. the truth later, you know? Exactly. The goal is just to know what is with no expectations in either direction. Yeah. Right. I can think of way worse things than lying in the ground with like nothingness happening, you oh. know? <laughs> we could prove that hell isn't a real thing and that's like good news, right? Yeah. At the same time, proving heaven or some nice afterlife uh, isn't, you know, purgatory doesn't sound that fun. So if we do happen to figure <laughs> out that ghosts aren't real, then that's probably good, you know. But yeah, it would, it would just be crazy for, for us to know what 
for sure if there's an afterlife or not or if there's psi phenomenon like if we have these special human ability abilities which i think to some degree we already know i mean our government works with like yeah. and remote viewers and we have been able to replicate a lot of those things in a lab at least on small scales you know mm -hmm. studies peer-reviewed studies and stuff so it's like but why why aren't people fascinated by this like why don't people want to know that they literally themselves even potentially could have the ability to do these extraordinary things if they kind of train it or watch X-Men. You know why people don't want to know why people aren't fascinated by it because well, they don't want to think that someone has the ability they don't that could give them an advantage, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it could be very dangerous. Yeah. It could tell you something you don't want to know. You could find out when you die. I mean, that's, you know, probably not something anyone really should or want to know. You could, you know, I don't know. It could be, could be a blessing, could be a curse, literally, yeah, right? more than scary for people. That's yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I personally, I just don't think it's up to the scientific community to like assign any of those things to anything. I think it's their job to just find the truth. If there's a possibility that some something is happening, they should uncover it and figure it out. They don't have to like release it, you know, to the wide public and and let anyone get a you know a hold of it or to the militaries or anything, but. They have to be, uh, they should be exploring all kinds of things, whether it helps humanity or like who who decides what helps humanity, right? Those things are kind of subjective. So I don't necessarily think that it's it's fair and I consider it to be like scientism, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, they're too far in their direction of what they think uh, makes sense. They're not willing to explore the rest in the same way that conspiracy theorists are too far in their delusions and not able to explore reality. We've got two... Yeah. Gotta get in that gray zone. Too far, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you really start to uh, be able to challenge uh, things, peer review, and, and edit things, and verify things, and repeat things in ways that you start to really find the patterns, and, and you make, you know, theories. And sometimes you have to throw away theories. I think that's what scientists are scared of: is that some of the theories that they pretty much consider law, but really aren't laws. Um, aren't on the right track and we know this because of quantum mechanics on a micro level uh those patterns aren't followed the laws of certain mm -hmm. physics and stuff doesn't translate into like the smaller universe which means that they might not be on the right track and they would have to throw that whole theory out and kind of start over again or go in a different direction yeah, which is detrimental to humanity i mean it's hard to go through something like that so far into a theory but that's what science is to me you know you have to do it right yeah and <laughs> so be willing to and admit that you were wrong and have to reroute entirely. Yeah, it's supposed to be an unemotional field, but uh, it's very emotional and it can be judgmental. And, and yeah, there's they can be stuck in their own uh, biases, unfortunately. So it it really puts a roadblock in some of these studies that are more in the gray area, but do have ed evidence already backed up, pi piling up. You know. Yeah. We just so, so just for sound tagging purposes, we don't have random EVPs on our podcast. I just have six children running around. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's there's no ghosts in this context. No. 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 All just tiny feet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I mean, do you have anything else to add? I feel like that's no. I think it's it's an interesting topic that really kind of makes you think even more broadly. Why are our brains doing these things just without us even? actively thinking about it so yeah. it's it's something fascinating to think about so i would encourage if anyone has any questions about that specifically or any other 
phenomenon that our brain just does automatically that would be interesting to talk about to tell us that and we'll kind of like look at that too yeah, especially yeah. with move on if you can come on for next time and yeah. like what why those things are. happen yeah 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 we've got those three theories but also some of our theories i think are maybe a uh, media you know mm -hmm. in the movies and stuff that we're exposed to and Unfortunately, we just don't have any way to compare the past to now, like if we yeah. experience this phenomenon more, because I, as far as I know, there weren't studies before, like pretty recently. I'm not sure exactly when the study is that I was referring to with like, um, you know, fo following the gaze or noticing mm -hmm. that it's male faces. But as far as I know, there's sort of the main studies um, for pareidolia and they're pretty recent, like in the 2000s at least. Yeah. So before that, I, I don't know if we were really measuring how much we do this or how much it happens or anything so it's hard to say if like our movies now play a part or our robots and tech that we're creating in the real world like i would imagine that they do because i even notice those functions happening in my mm -hmm. conscious thought like when i'm looking at a car and it's like a little bumper face i am already thinking of like the movie cars you know <laughs> and like thinking about oh i would say media definitely plays a role but also if anyone else has any theories like there's always things that we won't think of so as as people watch this definitely put in the comments what your yeah. theories are on why these things happen and if there are other interesting phenomena that our brain brings up without us noticing yeah. that, that might be i think those are interesting to see what other what other people's thoughts on this are too yeah and what kind of weird things they see faces in too mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna look at a coffee cup after this oh my gosh the mcdonald's coffee cup i swear it's the funniest version of this <laughs> does the thing have to be open the like yeah yeah <laughs> open it up and he is not impressed he's <laughs> ah, why is this happening yeah okay cool i'm gonna look for that <laughs> I can't see. I'll never be able to unsee it, too. You I'll will never unsee it. it. Never. No. Nope. I can never look at a car normally. <laughs> but uh, I go cloud gazing maybe later. <laughs> yeah. You're primed for it now. Yeah. It's an interesting. It's probably the reason why a lot of um, spiritual people use uh, scrying techniques, like, you know, tea leaf reading and stuff, because yeah. it really is. I mean, I don't think this is what they believe. I think they really believe potentially that they're connecting with like another source. But I, I think that it's just a way of your subconscious coming forward. It's a reference to your own subconscious, right? Whatever you're seeing the tea leaves, it might be some, something in behind in your in your mind. Same within the clouds. You know, you're seeing what you need to see or what you want to see, or you're just projecting some sort of process that's going on. And it's actually a very good psychological tool. I don't know if it's a good yeah. like, psychic tool, but you know, I can't speak to that. But um, yeah. It's interesting that we kind of have these tools that are able to project our our inner thoughts in a way that we wouldn't really be able to uh, have access to. I don't think manually, but yeah. when we use out of the box abstract sort of methods like that, we can kind of pull those things out. Subconscious is a is a very interesting place. <laughs> yeah. Dream journal, now. dream journal. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, well, thank you so much for uh, sticking around the whole show too. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Nice to see yeah. you. This is a this is a fun thought experiment. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the topic for next month will be, but just to remind everyone too, we're going to do it every last Saturday of every month. The last Saturday of every month. Yeah. So uh, so next month we'll have another interesting topic, and uh, hopefully be able to be joined with some other members and and to chat and introduce everyone on this platform and. And uh, thank you to Julian behind the scenes for all your help. And uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there and, and talk to everyone next month.
Fantastic. Comments and we'll answer comments a little later. Yeah, too. absolutely. All right. See you soon. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye.